Yes. Okay, so like I was saying today, title is follow. And by follow, I mean follow. So the passage is going to be Matthew 4, verses 12 through 22. And we'll get to those in just a second. But this is, this, this is a, the passage when Jesus first meets his disciples and he sees them there fishing and he goes, hey, come follow me. And like anyone's response would be to someone they don't know, oh, absolutely, I'll come with you right now. You think, what? It's a pretty crazy story. So what I want to do is investigate that a little bit more find out really when they were following Jesus, what, what did it mean for them to follow him. And I think one of the easiest ways to discover that is to first think about what we think about today when we hear the word follow. And I don't know about for you, but for me, I think of Instagram or Twitter right away. First thing, I go follow, I'm like, yeah, I got followers, are you kidding me? I don't even know how many, so many, I can't even count them. Whatever, you know what I'm talking about. I get retweeted every day. So we think in our culture society, we, we think that a true follower is someone maybe who follows us on Instagram, or we're a follower of a famous photographer on Instagram, or we're a follower of someone on Twitter who always tweets interesting things. And... The funny thing is, it's really easy to follow someone. All you have to do is, you know, either scroll on your phone, find, find you know, a cool picture you like, click on their name, and then go, follow. <laughs> I'm a follower. Check it out. You know, or you can go, and it, it's so easy. It's, you know, you're, you're instantly updated with the stuff that that person's following. And I think what's funny, too, we the kind of pictures that people post, the ones that we follow, uh, you know, they don't necessarily post pictures for the purpose of explaining to others who they actually are. They end up posting pictures that they think other people are going to like. So you only know if one of your pictures is good as if someone else actually likes it. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, am I going to post this picture or not? I don't know. Is everyone else going to think that that's me? And I hope that they think that they like it because then I can feel better about myself, right? So a lot of people, the way they take their pictures is they'll, there's like three, I think, main types of selfies that people like to take. There's the, the selfie with the flash in the mirror where, you know, you kind of angle to the side a little bit, uh, you know, and, and then there's uh, the flash is shining. I don't know, maybe distorts the image a little bit or makes it more mysterious. Uh, boom. That's one. Number two, uh, you have the, the camera in front of you. And you, you definitely can't use the face camera because the resolution sucks. So you've got to make sure that you have like the really high-res photo. So you have to have the back of the camera facing you. And you can't look at your face. So you don't know if you're totally in the frame. So you're, you know, kinda, you gotta, it takes you about eight times to finally get the right shot. And then just the typical snap right in the mirror, no flash. So the true question is, what does it mean to really follow Jesus. What does it mean in our society now when, you know, it's, it's different? It's not like Jesus can come up to you and say, hey, you know, put your net down and follow me. 
You're like, well, I don't have a net. I don't fish. Is he going to say, you know, put your book down? Put your textbook down and follow me. That's, it's going to be different, right? So today, I want you to just think about the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Right? So what we'll do is, the way we're going to do it is we're going to look at the way that Jesus interacted with the disciples and also what was revealed about Jesus before he then went and asked the disciples to follow him. So I'm going to read from Matthew 4, 12 through 17 to start. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death Upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So you may ask me, uh, David, I thought we were going to talk about following. How does this have anything to do with following Jesus? To me, it just sounds like Jesus reading a scroll and then saying, Preach repentance, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So I would answer you and say there's actually two very important points that come out of this passage that really help us to understand what it means to be a Christ follower. And the first point starts when Jesus reads from Isaiah. This point in Isaiah is actually one of the most significant points in Jesus' ministry other than dying on the cross, right, and rising again. It is at this moment when Jesus reads the scroll that he's actually proclaiming, hey, guess what? I'm the Messiah. You know the book of Isaiah? You know how it's talking about prophesying about a Messiah? That's actually about me. I'm the Messiah. I'm here to say, you know, I'm pretty much here to bring light to this dark world. I'm here to introduce the kingdom of God and you know, could you imagine the, inside the synagogue when he says that? You know, there's probably, I don't know, 40 people there, maybe 50. And he reads it, and they're like, oh, did he just, did, did, wait, did he just say, and you know, I'm sure everybody's chatting, chatting. He just said he was Jesus. He just, or he just said he was the son of God. He just said, or he just said he's the prophet that's come to fulfill, that's come to bring light into darkness. And this is, an, this is a crazy moment, right? So Jesus reveals himself as Messiah. Jesus proclaims, I'm the one you've been waiting for. That's the first point. That's why it's important. Second point, Jesus preaches a message of repentance. All right? It's pretty straightforward. Not much more to it. Repent means to turn, right? To turn meaning Stop sinning, hate your sin, and turn away from it. Meaning, you know, 
someone who repents is someone who turns, you know, someone who turns away. Like if you, if you truly believe that Jesus died for you on the cross, you're going to repent. You're going to say, I don't want to sin against my Savior, and it, I, I feel that I've, you know, done the wrong thing, and therefore I must ask for forgiveness, right? So repenting is that turn that is that essentially you hate sin, right? So if you hate sin, you're on the right path. If you love sin, you're not. So someone who understands Jesus has to understand two important things, right, before we get to the follow. Number one, Jesus is Messiah. He proclaims to be Messiah. Number two, Jesus teaches repentance. Jesus teaches you hate sin. So you have to, one, realize the Messiah. Two, realize the importance of repentance. It's funny, too, because you'd hope that the message that someone would bring would be a message that's really kind of happy and Joel Osteen-y. You know, that's just, this is a message of deep, happy, amazing love. I mean, it is, right? But the way, the way we understand Jesus' love is the fact that his love cost everything, right? So, so when people teach this, this really kind of fake love, what they're doing essentially is cutting out the cross. They're cutting out the sacrifice that Jesus had to make. And so by Jesus coming and teaching a message of repentance, he's showing the importance of what it means to follow in the way of, of hating sin. The message on the outset doesn't seem happy but later on down the line, yeah, it's going to get there. So all I'm saying is it's, it's kind of shocking at first for our Messiah to say really two things before he goes to his disciples. The two things, I'm Messiah and turn away from your sin and hate it. You're like, whoa, that's pretty intense. Um, all right, so keep that in your mind, and then we're going to go on. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, he called them. Immediately they left their boat their fa- and their father, and followed him. So let's transplant ourselves back a little bit. Kind of like I brought up at the beginning. First thing we see, we see a couple of fishermen in a boat, hanging out by the lake, and then, a, you know, this guy with long robes, sandals, long hair, kind of cruises up. The, the apocalyptic Mediterranean peasant. That's, it's funny, okay, I just have a total side note. I go to seminary, I don't know if you get, and uh, in seminary, uh, there are some guys that don't like to refer to Jesus as Jesus. They refer to him as the Mediterranean apocalyptic peasant. Like literally, they're totally serious. They are completely serious when they say it. And I, at the first time, I didn't know who he was talking about, and I thought there was this like famous Mediterranean 
apocalyptic peasant running around that no one knew about. It's like that I didn't know about, but everyone else knew about. And then he kind of like tied it in with this whole thing. I'm like, he's talking about Jesus as a apocalyptic Mediterranean peasant. I was like, that's wild. Okay. So anyway, now you know, so you don't have to make my mistake and confuse the Mediterranean apocalyptic peasant with someone else. So anyway, we're transplanting ourselves back. Boat, two guys, Jesus comes up. Hey, drop the nets, follow me. Okay, Jesus. Do you guys really think that's how it went? No. How do you think it went? Because to me, I, I, was, I, was, I was sitting there for a while thinking, this can't be it. There has to be something else going on to make these guys like drop their nets and follow Jesus. And what I came up with was you have this really, the, the four verses I read at the beginning, Jesus at the synagogue whips out the Isaiah scroll, reads and says, I'm the light coming into a dark place. And then Jesus went around preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so I think we don't take the importance of what Jesus did in the preceding verses enough when we're interpreting the way in which the disciples were called. And I don't know, have any of you been to Israel before? Thank you, Ivan. Perfect student. Um, (laughs) So... In Galilee, uh, it's actually a really small town. Very small. I mean, we're talking kind of like very tiny. Uh, it's smaller than small. It's just this little tiny village on the, on the Sea of Galilee, which if you've ever been to the Sea of Galilee, you walk up to it and you're like, oh, huh? It's tiny. I can see to the other side. Literally. You, so if you walk up to the Sea of Galilee and, you know, you're like, oh, you know, thinking, you know, thinking like Atlantic Ocean. You're like trying to see, can I see Spain? Is it there? No, it's thousands of miles away. You can't see it. The Sea of Galilee is literally so small, you can see across it. Just right there. Like this is like a, a pond. And there, it's funny because there's so many stories about the Sea of Galilee in the Bible. Like these massive storms coming up and sinking boats and sinking ships. And you're like, whoa, that must have been a really nasty storm because... It's not a very big lake. Anyway, we have this very small town of Galilee. And Jesus cruises into the town and says, I'm the Messiah, and also repent. Kingdom of God is at hand. And I have a pretty good feeling that people around town were talking about it. That they were like, oh my gosh, this guy is pretty serious. Like, he... He just read the scroll saying he's a Messiah, and he's going around preaching. So I would argue that the disciples actually had heard of Jesus if they had not already even heard one of his sermons when he came up to him. So that being said, it's important because these disciples, they're, they're not completely oblivious to Jesus. They realize two important things about him, the things I was talking about earlier. One, he's a Messiah. Two, they have to repent. What's interesting is a lot of times we think following Jesus 
is some sort of, you, you have to know everything about him before you can trust him to follow him. Do you get what I'm saying? So, you know, I don't know everything about Jesus yet, so um, I'm just going to just wait back until I figure out everything. And then when I figure out everything, I can trust him. And if I can trust him, then, yeah, I'll follow him. But think about it. How much did the disciples know? They didn't really know much. They said, wow, this guy, okay, he's, he claims to be Jesus. He claims to be the Messiah. And he's telling me to repent. I'll follow him. So the important thing, in, in, your, in your journey as a Christian, right, and if you haven't asked Jesus, if you haven't begun to follow Jesus yet, this is, this is key. You don't have to fix your life before you begin to follow Jesus. You don't have to change and say, okay, I'm going to get everything in line just to the right point, and when it's there, then Jesus will be okay with accepting me, and then I can follow him because, you know, it's going to go well. Wrong. The disciples come up to Jesus and are pretty much a mess. These guys are square one. They don't know anything. I mean, you guys have been coming to church. You go to youth group. I mean, you hear the Bible. You know the Bible. You get this stuff. You guys are leaps and bounds ahead of these guys in knowledge. I mean, they're just basic, routine fishermen. Probably can't even read or write. And they hear this message, and they go, oh, my gosh, I want to follow it. So I want to challenge you the the your faith is a thing that grows when you follow Jesus. It's not something that just happens, right? Right before, or this explosive, powerful moment right when you meet Jesus, and all of a sudden, fireworks went off. Amazing, powerful Christian from square one. No, it's, it's, it's the process of following. And so, as we go on, I want to just explain this process of following and kind of going back a little bit to the example I talked about with Twitter and Instagram. So on Twitter and Instagram, the way that you follow someone is what I would call passive, meaning it takes no action, no sweat, no worries, other than someone might not like your post. It really takes no work. I mean, literally, if you really, you know, I'm a good friend. Yeah, that's all it takes. Maybe I'll write a comment with an emoji if I'm really happy. The difference between the following that we tend to do today and the following that the disciples are exemplifying to us is an active versus a passive. So the disciples actively follow Jesus. They didn't sit back and watch Jesus They were there in the middle of it, going alongside him, working through it, working with him. They were taking part in ministry. It is only the people who are taking part actively in ministry that those who are truly following. If you are not actively taking part, you're not following. You're watching. It's important that we understand what this real following is because... you know, the, the Greek word, it doesn't just mean to follow, but it also inherently means to come, right? So he's calling them out. He's calling, not, and it's not just, you know, follow me. It's, it's come out and follow. It's like almost a double, it's like a double word. So we're coming out and we're following Jesus. And so as we go, we, we need to realize that this, this following is active. 
It's a way where we're participating in the action that Jesus is doing. And many people go, oh, well, you know, Jesus was here 2,000 years ago. He's not here anymore. I don't know. How am I going to follow somebody that's not here anymore? What do you mean? Jesus is still working, still active through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is moving. The Holy Spirit is active. The Holy Spirit is looking for people that are going to join up and work to change lives. So the work is still going on, and it's our responsibility as Christians to look for that, to seek it out, to participate in that, to follow that and say, I'm taking part in what's going on, and I'm not doing it alone. I'm not doing it by myself. This is what God is doing right now. And it's your responsibility to just look for it and go, all right, God, hey, I'm ready. I'm here. I'm your follower. Give me an opportunity. So our prayer when we pray to follow Jesus, it's actually pretty simple. Our prayer is, God, use me. That's it. It's that easy. Lord, use me. However you want to, in whatever way, even if it's kind of crazy, just do it. So I have kind of an interesting story about this. Going back to Israel. Uh, so, I was in Jerusalem studying, it's called, the, the language course is called an ulpan, and uh, it's an intensive Hebrew language course where I learned modern Hebrew over a summer. And at the end of my semester, I met a few guys that, at a train station. So I was going to take a train to the south of Israel to this city called Elat. And the bus got canceled. So I was sitting at the train station, and my plan was just to sleep on the floor in the train station and wait it out until the first bus in the morning. So I'm sitting there kind of rolling out my little blow-up mattress, and an Israeli security guard comes up, and he goes, you cannot do this here. Get out. I'm like, oh, my gosh, okay. So, so, we, you know, so I'm picking up my stuff, and then I notice there's this group of other American guys right next to me that he tells the same thing to. So we start chatting it up, and they go, we can't go back home. Um, I don't know what we're going to do. And I said, well, if you guys want, we can split a taxi and go back to my apartment and hang out. So, whatever. So I invite these guys over. They end up being really friendly. Uh, they actually are whatever. So the next day, we decide to all go on a trip together to Jordan, which is the country just to the east of Israel. We're in Jordan. As we're traveling around, one of the days, these guys come up to me and they show me one of their cameras. Because I was wondering what, you know, what they do. They live in Ramallah, which is the Palestinian territory just to the east of Jerusalem. And they go, oh, we're, uh, we work for a pro-Palestinian journalist. And uh, we're hardcore pro-Palestinian. And if you ever meet someone like that in Israel, just make sure you don't associate with them. Because... If the Israeli government finds out that you're associating with pro-Palestinians who are taking pictures of Israeli soldiers who are, you know, occupying Palestinian territories, you get kicked out. They put this, they put this stamp where you can't go 10 years, you can't return back to Israel. So your visa, no good. So these guys start showing me pictures and videos and all this stuff of all of their pro-Palestinian, you know, like protests, everything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm traveling with you guys. And um, we're going back to the border in Israel. 
So, oh my gosh, what do I do? So, in my mind, I think, okay, I have to separate from these guys and, and just pretend like I'm traveling by myself. So, I wait back for about 30 minutes, kind of by the bus stop, and, uh, you know, I don't know what happened to them. So, I make my way up to the border security, and uh, <clears throat> they scan my bag, then they go through and they take a look, and, you know, and I go up to the booth where they check your passport, and there's this kind of like mean-looking Israeli lady, and she, you know, takes and she's like, you know, give me your passport. So I hand her my passport, and she looks at it for a long time. She's like, and I'm thinking, that's it, I'm done. I'm getting thrown on a plane and just, or maybe handcuffed. I don't know what's going. I, I'm freaking out in my mind, and she's taking a long to look and sitting there, and I'm thinking, oh no, oh no. She's, like, is this you, David Stover? And I was like, yes. <laughs> And she takes it and goes, and kind of leans in close to the glass. And she goes, I have a cousin in, that needs a place to stay in Chicago. Is there any way you can help her out? And I, you know, at first I'm like, what? <laughs> you're, you're trying to get a place for your cousin to stay in Chicago for me? I was like, I guess I'm safe. So I was like, okay, yeah. So I handed my, uh, I, gave, I gave her my email address. Sure enough, I get an email the next day from this girl named Lee Paz, this Israeli girl. And uh, she contacts me and goes, you know, hi, my name is Lee Paz, I'm studying at Northwestern, and uh, I need a place to stay in Chicago. And uh, I'm going to be flying in in five days. I was like, you did some great planning. Um, so I contact my mother, and I go, hey, mom, there's this Israeli girl that wants to stay at our house. What do you say? She's like, you're crazy. And I go, no, she, she's probably nice. I mean, her sister's a border agent. They can't be that messed up. So my mom's like, all right. I'll. So five days later, my mom goes and picks up Lee Paz from the airport. Next day, my parents are going to church, and they go, hey, Lee Paz, you want to come with? And Lee Paz is like, yeah, I'll do what you guys are doing. This is great. Ends up being the sermon when we have a guy who is a Messianic Jew who's preaching, who knows Hebrew. So... She go in there, and my mom goes up to the pastor, and he's like, hey, um, there's a girl from Israel staying at our house, and she's here today. He's like, oh, well, duh, whatever, you know, great. So ends up preaching this sermon, speaks a bunch in Hebrew, you know, like expelling, really talks about Jesus, all this stuff, you know, amazing sermon, rich in the Old Testament, and uh Later that day, Lee Paz goes up to my mom, and she goes, you know, I've never heard of this Jesus, but I really want that. I want that in my life. And uh, my mom's like, well, let's, let's read the Bible and find out who he is, and we can pray together about it. And over the next two weeks, as Lee Paz is staying in my house, my mom and her read the Bible together every night, and she ends up accepting Jesus into her life. And... It's just such a cool story of the way that God can use us even when we don't think he's going to. You put yourself in circumstances, in positions when God can say, I'm going to use you. Because that's what it means to follow. To follow is, a, is, is to, and I know this is an extreme example, but in general, to follow is being willing to go where Jesus calls you, 
where Jesus is already because he already knows. It's not like you're going into this unknown of, you know, closing your eyes and, you know, your body has no feeling and you're just wondering what the heck's going to happen. You're, Jesus is there already. He's calling you to himself in a place where he knows already. So as you go in, remember, you're waiting. You're seeking out where Jesus is. That's what it means to follow. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ways in which you lead us and guide us and call us to yourself. We ask that you would open our eyes to see where you are, that we may come and follow after you. We ask that you would teach us and guide us, instruct us and move us on to trust in you more. Father, reveal what it means for how we can truly follow you, that we would be excited to follow after you, that we'd be seeking opportunities for you to use us and to draw us closer, Lord, for we know that when we serve you, that when we follow you, that is when we truly are living out our faith. In your name, amen.